Yeah, as I said a minute ago, I appreciate I appreciate the group that's here for this topic because um, it's it's right at the heart of um, right at the heart of practice as we have come to know it and inherit it from Suzuki Roshi. Um, and I want to start by just um, invoking a sense of the building that I'm in. Many of you know this place. It's um, it's this brilliant, giant, stately brick building at Page and Laguna, 300 Page Street, designed by Julia Morgan. What many of you might not know is that underneath the courtyard is an enormous boulder. Enormous. So large that when the builders were uh, designing this place, or when they were making decisions about, about how it would be made under the direction of Julia Morgan, they decided not to excavate this enormous boulder because it was just that big. And they built the building around it. So it's, it's right underneath it. And I often, think of, I often think of that giant boulder as just as much a part of our building as anything else, as just as much a part of it as the Zendo or the Buddha Hall. Um, yeah, it's quite literally the bedrock on which uh, this, this building and this whole practice comes up. So um, the last several times that we've gotten together, uh, I've, been, I've been talking on this theme of the foundations of Dharma, particularly about the Four Noble Truths, as like this, um, this way to start to orient uh, in, in important ways in Buddhist practice. And today we're gonna take a little bit of, turn, uh, of a turn Kind of following along with that theme though, taking a cue from a teaching called the Three Pillars of Soto Zen that was written by an abbot from just down the street at Hartford Street Zen Center, Isanji in the Castro, uh, Reverend Mio Leahy. And a lot of the ideas I'm gonna talk about are his, and a lot of it is his sort of artful consolidation of some very complex teachings. Three pillars, three pillars of Soto Zen. So I'll talk about, I'll talk about all three of them. But let's begin with the one that we know. First pillar of Soto Zen, the family style, Shikantaza, just wholeheartedly sitting, Zazen, our meditation practice. Um, Shikantaza is decidedly the, the meditation practice of our house. It's a, it's a full comprehensive awareness of this moment, which is part of why during the, during the meditation before um, our introductions, uh, I didn't give any instruction uh, because we, we, we tap into awareness and from, from the experience of awareness, we learn the Dharma. That's the art of Zazen. Whenever I think of Shikantaza, whenever I think of this pillar of Soto Zen, I, I tend to think of um, a story that I told back in March about one of the pre-Zen Indian ancestors named Kayashata. Uh, Kayashata, as a, as a child, um, in this mythical story, whether, whether he was um, standing, sitting, walking, lying down, always had this perfect mirror following him around, just had this big, uh, um, unhindered mirror. And at some point during Kayashata's life, explains 
The great perfect mirror of the Buddhas has no flaw or blemish, inside or out, and all people are able to see it. And obviously this, this perfect mirror is the great mirror of awareness. That's our, that's our teacher in Shikantaza. Uh, I like for myself to, when I'm thinking about Zazen, Shikantaza, the practice of still seated awareness, um, in relationship to this mirror, I like to think of this like body size, six foot, six foot flawless mirror, not a scratch on the thing, no dust, no lint, no nothing. And then it's got like this filigreed, uh, kind of glowing, luminous frame. Um, and it's perfect. All of the images can come and go. The mirror never grasps any of them. The mirror doesn't distort any of them. Just clearly sees, ah, this, this is here now. And then objects pass away. And just so, just so in Shikandaza with our awareness. So one of the profound aspects of Shikantaza is that it mirrors the profundity of the teachings of emptiness. And I think some of that is related through this, this way that a, a perfect mirror can allow experience to come and go with no grasping. And reflect, reflect the deep fact that all experience is without any permanent fixed nature. It seems pretty lofty for something that we call just sitting, right? Like the phrase just sitting feels pretty humble. And I always like think of it in these big, um, big terms. Um, but in like breaking down the word a little bit, shikan, shikantaza, shikan just means only. Or Reverend Mio says only or nothing but shikan. Ta, the shikantaza, the ta means to hit or to strike against. And za is sit, sitting. So only to strike against hitting. And that's, that's very often rendered as just sitting or just wholeheartedly sitting. What I wanna highlight for, for all of us as we've been having these conversations about Dharma together for some time now, I think something that's underappreciated in the, in the term shikantaza is the ta is the strike against. And to me, that's evocative of the, 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 the continual renewal of awareness. It's like momentary awareness and attention have to keep sinking back up. You know how this is in your sitting where attention will start to drift and, oh, I'm in the past, I'm in the future, where have I gone? And you have to keep bringing it back. And there's that moment of contact. And to me, that's the ta, that's the hit, shikantaza. And then with practice, with sustained practice, all that tying in shikantaza, uh, when samadhi starts to settle in and awareness and attention really start to sync up and don't move away from each other, then we, we catch a glimpse of a different flavor of that luminous mirror in shikantaza. So I often will like to say when I'm thinking about Shikantaza that all experience 
is just soaked in the truth. Just soaked in it. No experience, no exception. And shikantaza is the practice of stillness in which we see that. So this is the first pillar of Soto Zen, uh, is this bright mirror of shikantaza. And what gives us access to the second pillar of shikantaza is having, uh, or the, the second pillar of Soto Zen is having shikantaza as a reference point. So we have the stillness of a luminous mirror as a reference point. And then that gives us access to the second pillar, which is Genjo Koan, another, another Japanese term. There are, there are many beautiful teachings associated with Genjo Koan, but I'm only going to highlight one. One that I think, one that I think is the most important as a pillar of Soto Zen. And I want to express it as uh, I want to express it through this a story that has to do with a fan. So if the first pillar is about a mirror, the second pillar is about a fan. Uh, in this story, the main point, as I see it, is it shows that our practice isn't limited to the silence and stillness of sitting. But instead, it touches all the aspects of our lives. And the story goes like this. So Baoche Zenji of Mount Mayu is fanning himself. You can imagine, just like in the, the, the sweaty monastery in the middle of summer, there's no air conditioning here. It is hot. So the Zen master is fanning himself. A monk approach, approaches and says, Baoche Zenji, the nature of wind is permanent. The nature of wind is permanent. There's no place it doesn't reach. Why are you fanning yourself? The nature of wind is permanent. There's no place it doesn't reach. Why are you fanning yourself? So more or less, the monk is, say, is saying, for our purposes, different, different meanings you can derive from this. It's basically saying, um, if, all, if all things are enlightenment, why bother? Why practice? Why do anything? We have, we have the perfect jewel mirror of Shikantaza and we can appreciate it in stillness. Why are you moving your arm? Uh, so I think the monk has started to gr maybe grasp something about stillness, but hasn't begun to fathom action. So how's this, this compassionate teacher going to lend some assistance? So Baoche Zenji says, although you understand that the nature of wind is permanent, you do not understand the meaning of its reaching everywhere. He's an astute monk, so he follows up and he's like, what's the meaning of it reaching everywhere? And then in the show them, don't tell them style of these Tang Dynasty Chan masters, mastered, what does he do? He demonstrates, how does the wind reach everywhere? He keeps fanning himself. And the monk has an insight, something about the nature of wind and the master's participation in it. It's as if to say, as if to say, using, using the fan to show the monk, dear monk, please don't get stuck in the view of stillness only, but bring this stillness into life. 
and animate the way for the benefit of beings. And the monk, the monk got it and bowed. All that to say, practice isn't limited to the cushion. Practice is animated in our action, but it's, in, it's informed by the stillness of Shikantaza, the first pillar, the jewel mirror. And then we put it into play with the fan, the second pillar. And what that opens up actually is that all circumstances of our lives are the field of practice. And the unfurling of that, the, um, all of the different aspects of, of, um, of rendering the circumstances of our lives as fruitful practice, that is the subject of 84,000 Dharma talks. <laughs> what is the Dharma of this aspect of my life? What is the Dharma of this aspect of my life? Grounded on this pillar of Ginjo Koan. So again, to break the word down a little bit, Gen, actual, present, current. Jo is um, complete or arise or create. So Genjo is something like um, what's actually arisen, what's currently arisen, what's right here presently, what's complete right here and now. And then koan, uh, pretty familiar with this, it has three meanings. Koan, um, originally, as I hear it, was the, the posting of a public declaration by a, a dignitary or like a the government would, would put out a, an announcement, oh, this is the new law, and they put it up, and that's called a koan, a case. Then it became the, uh, the words and actions, the Zen antics that we know from the koan collections. And here, Dogen Zenji is playing with it a bit and um, shifts the meaning of koan. And taken as, taken as a whole, Genjo Koan is often rendered as actualizing the fundamental point. Or maybe, maybe we could render it something like um, the, the fundamental, uh, it's emptiness and what's actual brought together. It's both. And it's right here. Uh, Central Abbot Ed uh, Sadazen when talking about Genjo Koan, he always emphasizes this point of the profundity of everyday life that's been informed by the jewel mirror of Shikantaza, of just sitting. Something that I just learned about while, uh, while I was poking around for this talk was um, I was looking through Dogen's extensive record. It's this massive book of uh, all these talks that Dogen gave, some formal and informal. And he tells a, sh a short anecdote of a student coming to visit and was like really into the, really into knowing about the practice and kept asking questions about the koans, about the Zen antics, the collections, the old stories of the ancients. And Dogen said, I just kept pointing him back to the present situation. Whoa, how about that? I've seen Dogen encourage over and over again, study the words and the actions of the ancients. If you wanna, if you wanna study the ancestral way, study the conduct of the ancients. And here, he keep, here he's prioritizing, right here, right here is where this is happening. This is where, uh, this present situation is where the Dharma is unfolding. So let's pay close attention.
So put another way, Genjo Koan expresses, as uh, Reverend Mio puts it, principles of practice from three different perspectives. The first perspective is that all things are Buddha Dharma, kind of what we've been saying so far, that, uh, that animates practice on and off the cushion. The second perspective is vast emptiness that the sitting Shikantaza represents. And the third perspective, maybe pretty interesting, is going beyond. And put another way, that is to stick to neither stillness or action, but to move in both of them freely for the benefit of beings. We sit when it's time to sit, we do when it's time to do and cling to neither. I think I'm gonna zoom ahead to the third pillar. Well, just highlighting one more time the idea that Genjo Koan emphasizes that all experience is the field of practice. In, uh, in another one of Dogen Zenji's teachings, the moon is reflected in a dewdrop. And I would think that the Genjo Koan teaches us that the, the moon reflects in all dewdrops, all of them. Pretty wondrous. So, it, so the, the Buddha Dharma reaches even beyond the natural wind that blows to the wind that's being produced by the activity of the fan. This too is wind. So if we try, if we try on such a view that all things are Buddha Dharma, if we, if we, um, if we can try on that both stillness and action, Shikantaza and Genjo Koan, we try on that view that all of that is Buddha Dharma, all things are Buddha Dharma. I mean, what, what, what would you imagine? What sort of attitude would arise? And what would, how would that inform the way you interact with the world? I interact with the world. This question I think is a basis for the third pillar which is another Japanese term called men mitsu no kafu. Men mitsu no kafu. I'm gonna break that one down first. So men means close or intimate or dense. Mitsu means cotton, cotton. Ka means family. And fu means wind or manner. So Reverend Mio uh, condenses all that into a close, intimate family style, as intimate as threads of finely woven fabric. I've heard it put differently that uh, intimate attention is the wind of the family house. I really like the way Reverend Mio puts that. I, I think about, um, it's like, uh, I. I once made a, a Buddha's robe out of this like gauzy, almost like sheer cotton. The stuff was pretty much falling apart and you could just see the strands nestling up to one another. They were so close, 
So I think of that. A close intimate family style as intimate as threads of finely woven fabric. Menmitsu no kafu. And its characteristic is that, uh, that of unstintingly being attentive to the connections between people and things. This is when you, this is when you read, uh, read the old Zen stories of like taking very good care of a teacup or holding a saucer with two hands or our, uh, our friend here who sometimes speaks at Yaz who lives at City Center who talks about how careful he is minding his smartphone. He deliberately doesn't buy a case for his smartphone uh, and it's, a, it's an exercise in careful attention how he relates or um, so we can think of it yeah we can think of it with our, our teacups and saucers our smartphones we think of it with your laundry how am I relating to my laundry if all things are buddha dharma how am I relating to my dirty shirt so in the temple we see this with closing doors softly or when we step through the the threshold to the meditation hall with our left foot just careful, close attention. Or when we bow to our meditation cushion. I love the way that Reverend Neo phrases this, unstintingly attentive to connection. And to me, that animates the stillness that we find in Zazen. It orients, orients our action. It animates that stillness with a respect for all things, with sort of reverence as if all things are Buddha Dharma. And then we interact with them with that sort of unstinting care. And I see in that the, the integration of all three of these pillars of Soto Zen, the stillness of emptiness, the reverence of all circumstances, and just what great care and attention we, we give to people and things. I thought it would be fun to mention a couple of stories when I was um, decidedly not doing those things. <laughs> um, Take a sip of water. Yeah, I was, um, I think about eight years ago, I was cooking in a Dharma kitchen. And my priority at the time was um, uh, cooking the food, making it tasty, getting this done quickly so that I could go get a four minute nap before it was time for me to either go to the meditation hall or um, come back to the kitchen and work. So I was in a little bit of a hurry happened to be during the middle of something, something like a 30 day long Vipassana course. And I, um, I was getting some oil, maybe I was making a salad dressing or something, but I bent down and the oil's on the, the bottom tier of this metal table, you know, those kind of metal, metal prep tables with the shelf underneath. And I kneel down, I've got my, I've got my cup and I see I see, I have this moment of discernment when I know if I try to pour this oil right now, I'm going to spill it on the floor. And I'm like, oh no, I can do it. <laughs> I'm like, no, I really want that four minute nap. And so I try it out. Obviously I spill, I spill oil over like three square feet of floor. And as I do it, I go, oh. and I look up and this, um, oh, this dear person who taught me how to cook Indian food, um, 
uh, a visiting volunteer of the meditation center who did a lot, did a lot, did a lot for me. She looks down, she looks down at me. She doesn't even shake her head. She doesn't wag a finger. She just says, have a little bit of calm mind. I'm like, oh no, I have been admonished. And yet that, that was the Buddha Dharma. That was a, oh wait, where is my mind? How am I relating to these things right now? I'm like totally disregarding the resources of this center because I want a four minute nap. It's like, I should slow down. I should slow down. Let me clean this up. And I, I did not begrudge her at all for telling me to have a little bit of calm mind. I took that as good Dharma advice. I think given the time, I'll save the second story for another time but I want to, um, I actually to express the three pillars together, Shikantaza, Genjo Koan, and Menmetsu no Kafu, emptiness and stillness, reverence for all circumstances as Dharma, and Menmetsu no Kafu, this careful attention to things. I wanted to bring in, um, a teacher that was really important to Zen Center, and that is Mitsu Suzuki Sensei. Uh, she was the wife of Suzuki Roshi and taught tea uh, at Zen Center. She lived in this building on top of this Julia Morgan rock for a lot of years. She sat a lot of session here, a lot of retreat, a lot of zazen, and she practiced haiku. And I wanted, to I wanted to read some of these to you. While, while holding the question, can you hear the zazen in these poems? And can you, can you hear Genjo Koan, her reverence for all things? And you, can you hear the like, careful attention that she gives? So these three pillars. So here's one from 1982, the summer at Tassajara. And she writes, summer butterfly, one meeting, one lifetime, Deep Valley. I don't know if you can hear the zazen in there, or the careful attention to things. Here's another, another one from my birth year in the Autumn City Center that I think uh, points to Ginjo Koan. She says, heart to heart talk, clear, Midnight Moon. And then the last one from the summer of 1986 at City Center, she writes, like life, leaving no traces, firecrackers. So maybe I'll think of Mitsu Suzuki Sensei's words next time we have one of these uh, San Francisco firework parties at some strange hour of the night. These, uh, in summary, can be a bit of an introduction to three pillars of Soto Zen, the family style. Uh, as, I, as I wrote a couple of days ago, the, the, the Dharma gate is unsurpassably wide. So many styles. So our, our family style of Soto Zen I think can be characterized pretty well by 
by the coming together of these three, our zazen, our, our reverence for all circumstances as the field of practice, and this very intimate, close attention. So may it be that our practice of shikantaza expresses and opens us to the wonder of all things as the Dharma, and that our connections and actions with all beings is one of intimate care and mutual benefit. Thank you very much. <laughs>